This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every other week to discuss ecology, odor dynamics, dog behavior, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I run canineconservationists.org, where I train dogs to detect data. I'm super excited to get to this discussion, um, but before we start, I do need to thank our supporters. We had an amazing anonymous donor gift us enough money that the van is fully funded and fully repaired. We are living in style at our field site, and that same donor donor gifted us one crash-proof grate, which we're going to install into the van soon. I am so grateful to have the amazing support that helps us keep the dog safe while we help scientists detect data. Next up for us is to get another crash-proof grate, and as long as we can make it all fit in the van. Um, We are just playing an ongoing game of will it fit we don't have any new reviews to highlight for the show but i'd love to have some to share so please head on over to apple podcast and let us know what you think about the show now let's get to it so this episode we're talking about working with adolescent detection dogs and this is largely going to be just good advice for new working dogs but this um this episode was spurred by the fact that this summer I'm working on a wind farm in Nebraska finding um, dead bats with my puppy Niffler, who is just about to turn 10 months old. So he started working when he was about nine months old, which is really, really young. Um, I was not expecting to work with him until he was at least two years old. Um, But we're going to talk about some of the specifics about how I raised him, but actually more importantly, the specifics of the job that I'm doing this summer that allowed me to start working with him as an adolescent. And then some of the things that I've been learning as I've been working with him instead of my normal canine partner, Barley, that is important for working with teenage dogs. So... The let's kind of start out with what the um, the work that I'm doing this summer looks like as compared to a lot of other conservation detection dog projects that I've been on. And I think that'll actually help be relatively self-explanatory as far as why this is a project that I felt comfortable taking my brand new puppy out on. So the work that we're doing currently, basically we're searching under wind turbines for fatalities. So the dogs are trained to find bats, but if they find things like birds, we always report that as well. Um, and we generally are working in what in um, hundred by hundred meter plots under each turbine. So it's nice and small. These searches take us fifteen to twenty minutes each. And at the site that I'm currently at, we're actually finding a good number of fatalities. Um, I mean, not a good number for the bats, but it's a relatively high find environment. So Niffler is finding a bat um, or and having a rewardable experience every couple minutes, really, um, which is really, really great for keeping up his motivation. Actually, one of the things we're struggling with more than keeping up his motivation is figuring out how to reward him in a way that really makes him happy without wearing him out too much. It also is a relatively physically safe and physically easy job because, again, we're working in these kind of 20-minute spurts with time in the truck in between. 
um, and we're working on wind farms in Nebraska. As you can imagine, it's quite flat, and there aren't a lot of hazards, all of which would re really helps um, make us feel safe and um, confident working a teenage dog. And that is in um, somewhat stark contrast to some of the other projects that I've worked on in conservation detection dog um, land. <clears throat> Um, in the past with Barley, I've worked do worked on jobs where he may be finding a target every couple days, and he's doing four or five hour searches at a time, which is incredibly hard for most dogs. And I do not think um, I would feel comfortable working a teenager on a job like that. It would simply be too demotivating for the dog. So let's um, let's kind of get into some of the the specific advice that I have. And again, a lot of this is going to be applicable to any novice dog, but some of it may be um, kind of teenager specific. So my first bit of advice for working with adolescent detection dogs is to make sure to keep it extra fun. This is something that we are always passionate about with any of our new dogs, but learning experiences for a new dog and a teenage dog are going to be weighted a lot more heavily. Because your dog has a shorter reinforcement history for everything to do with detection, everything you do needs to stay fun because it's going to have more weight. So if we have a bad search or a bad day or something doesn't quite go right, a new dog, an adolescent dog, is less likely to rebound from that really nicely than a more experienced veteran dog or an older dog because they just don't have as much experience knowing that this game is fun and that it's a thing that we want to come back to. With that, as part of keeping it extra fun, one of the other pieces of advice that I would give is don't be afraid to call it off, whether that's cutting an individual search short, whether that's cutting a day short, or potentially deciding that it is not time to debut your new teenage dog and you need to go back to training, making things fun again, and you can debut your dog in the next field season. That obviously can be incredibly challenging and is um, a huge concern if you have signed contracts saying that you're going to be doing this line of work. So I would not necessarily recommend starting out with a teenage dog until or unless you also have another backup dog that you could rely on if for whatever reason you need to pull your teenage dog out of work to let them, uh, let them uh, recuperate and make sure that their career in the long run is going to survive. Because that's one of my other huge pieces of advice with working with a teenager. Don't prioritize success today at the expense of your dog's long-term career. Um, another piece of advice, the next piece of advice with working with adolescent detection dogs, is that you need to watch for changes over time and expect them to happen. So I will say, as, and again, this is true of any dog as they get more and more experience with detection work, but I'm really seeing changes in how Niffler is settling into his work. He's learning to pace himself. And um, there's been a lot of really lovely changes of him in this first month or so of doing this work. At the same time, we are also seeing some other changes that, um, you know, are less desirable. So for example, he... Um, he has recently started becoming much more interested in cows. We do one of the biggest hazards we have at this particular work site is lots of cattle, um, which generally are at a safe enough dis distance for us to work. But as Niffler and his border collie brain are maturing a little bit, he is struggling quite a bit to stay focused around cattle. Um, and that sort of distraction, those sorts of setbacks are things to just expect and do whatever you can do to mitigate, manage, avoid, etc. And with that as well, you know, as we're looking at setbacks and changes over time, you know, again, we always, we are always talking on the Canine Conservationist podcast about how to train our dogs really ethically and humanely and stick to the humane hierarchy. 
And that is potentially even more important with our adolescent dogs than with our more experienced veteran dogs. So let me tell you a story that really illustrates this. And this also ties back to the fact that our learning experiences with our young dogs are weighted more heavily. So one of my first days searching here, um, I had Niffler, um, he was dragging his long line. We were working in somewhat tall grass under a wind turbine. And when um, he, I dropped his long line to let him uh, follow an odor cone. And as he followed the odor cone, he actually almost stepped on a jackrabbit. Um, so he actually wasn't tracking the jackrabbit, but that jackrabbit flushed and Niffler took off after it. I was yelling at him. I was yelling and screaming and hollering. He usually has a really great recall, but this is the first time he's flushed a bunny, um, a jackrabbit. And he ran, you guys, it was awful. He ran almost a quarter mile after this rabbit. It was so embarrassing. I'm glad no one saw it. It was very stressful. I was worried if, like, I was, you know, I was doing the thing where I was just kind of standing there and I'd stopped yelling because it was clear he wasn't going to listen to me. And I was just watching him going, okay, when's he going to stop? Is he going to stop at the fence line? He did stop at the fence line. He came back to me. He came rocketing back to me. And guys, I was pissed. Um, <laughs> I did the bad dog owner thing and I yelled at him when he got back, um, which did not help. Um, but I was just, I was so emotional. I was so scared. I was so frustrated. Um, I was so disappointed in myself and frankly in him, you know, I know that's not, um, it's not his fault. He was just being a dog. He was just being a puppy, but I was mad. Um, and you know what I saw? Um, he did not want to get out of the car to search at our next wind turbine. Niffler is a somewhat soft dog. Um, he's a sensitive little fella, but that sort of, um, relatively minor blow up on my end, you know, it's not like I beat him, um, was enough to really put him off of searching for the next several turbines. It actually took a couple days for him to come back to being fully confident and enthusiastic on searches. And that, you know, that is just a really good lesson in losing our temper and punishment and how we don't get to decide what emotions our dogs feel post-punishment or during punishment and what they assign those emotions to. Um, but also just really goes to show, you know, when the dogs have a shorter reinforcement history with searching as a teenager, um, it is easier to break them with a bad experience. Hey everyone, just popping into this episode with an update on our Patreon. We still have the $3 a month doggy detector level, which allows you to ask questions for me and the guests to answer each episode but now also lets you join our monthly training video analysis calls. These calls are going to be recorded, of course, and we'll also publish the video afterwards for everyone to view and ask questions about prior to the call to ensure that all time zones can participate fully. So we'll basically publish the video we're going to analyze so that you can ask questions and view it and prepare ahead of time. Then we'll have the call where we talk about it. We can have beverages. It'll be a good time. And then all of that is going to be shared later so you can participate before, during, and after. Again, just for three bucks a month. Now, at the $10 a month sensational scientist level, you get everything that we got before at the $3 level, plus you get to submit videos of your training sessions for those calls. So this is perfect for the aspiring canine conservationist, and your target odor doesn't really matter here as long as you do communicate what it is so we can think intelligently about your goals. Um, so this is going to be great for nosework competitors and other canine handlers as well, and we're really striving to make these video calls super kind and supportive and helpful, so um, it's going to be a nice safe place on the internet to get good feedback back on your training sessions because I know how much of a struggle that can be, especially in the set work world. 
So then finally, the canine conservationist patrons get everything from those other two tiers, plus a private 30-minute training call with me to go over whatever you're running into with your dog. That tier is just 25 bucks a month, and that's cheaper than booking my time at journeydogtraining.com for behavior modification, and that's just because I love you and I love my patrons. That's definitely something to check out. You can join that Patreon over at patreon.com slash canineconservationists. Or at the link at canineconservationists.org. It's like a tiny link up in the top bar. And then we also drop that link into our show notes. So if you're listening on your podcast app, you should be able to find it just right from there. So thank you guys so much. And let's get back to the episode. The next piece of advice is that not all teenagers are going to be ready to work. Niffler, um, I selected him specifically for this job. He's always been incredibly odor um, focused. He's been very, very independent. And he's been basically being groomed from, you know, nine weeks old, if not younger, because his breeder actually did some some search work with him when he was starting at about five or six weeks old. He's been groomed for this. Um, and even dogs who haven't, have been groomed for this might not be ready at nine months old to work. So what we really want to be seeing for a teenager before we decide to work them for an adolescent dog is we want them to be searching happily and consistently in a variety of environments. So if your dog is not able to search in a lot of novel environments and at um, for lengths of time that are somewhat comparable to the job that you are signing them up for, they are not ready for that job. Um, and you would much rather find that out while you were still in the training phase than once you've actually deployed out on a project. The next thing that I'm really looking for with a teenager is that they have some sort of alert behavior. And again, this is just all good advice for any new dog. But, you know, it's not just enough to have a dog who can happily search for food in any environment. You need your dog to be able to find an odor and you need your dog to be able to tell you about it. You're also going to want some other basic skills like engagement and safety skills. So, you know, Niffler has worked a lot on recalls. I know I just told a story where our recall failed, but, you know, that does happen. We've done a ton of work on recalls and engagement. Um, he has learned, you know, some things like down and wait and leave it and a couple other things that are really important for keeping him and wildlife safe in the field. The next piece of advice, which I have already alluded to as well, is that not all projects are suited to adolescent dogs. This project in particular is a great fit because it's high find, it's easy to confirm, and they're short searches. So Niffler is finding something, as I said, um, almost every turbine. So we're, he's getting some blanks, which is actually a really good thing. Um, maybe it's about 50-50, it's about I would say, as far as whether we're getting something under a turbine or not. Um, when we only have one bat, it's about one bat every 15 to 20 minutes. When we have multiple bats per um, turbine, which does happen sometimes if a flock of bats had kind of moved through and been hit, um, he might be finding a bat every couple minutes, um, which is just incredibly motivating for a young dog or any um, new dog. And over time, yes, I want my dog to be uh, get more used to a leaner reinforcement schedule, a leaner um, find environment, but to start out... Oh my gosh, what a great um, blessing for a <laughs> for a new dog to be able to find something something every couple minutes. As I said, the other thing that's really important about this particular project is that it is easy to confirm. If he alerts to a dead bat, I can, can tell whether or not that's a dead bat, and I can usually see the bat quite quickly. It's just, it's perfect. And that is just, as many of our more experienced handlers may know, that is just not the case really often in conservation detection dog work. Whenever you're working with scat, and often when you're working with invasive plants, anytime you're working with pathogens or insects, it might take a really long time for the handler, you and me, 
to find what your dog has alerted to, even if they've got their nose practically right on it. And then there are times where it is impossible or extremely difficult to confirm whether or not the dog is correct. And sometimes that means that even if the dog is correct, the dog might not be getting rewarded, which is also incredibly demotivating for a young or nude dog. As we've also mentioned, short searches, which is just really lovely um, to make sure that your dog is able to kind of get out, search, do the hard work, get back in the truck, sit in the AC, drink some water, have some snacks, and then go again. Um, that is much, it's much easier to do. Um, Niffler's record so far is 10, 20 minute searches in a day, which he's able to do 200 minutes of searching if it's kind of broken up throughout the day. I don't think he would actually be ready to do what would amount to an over three hour search continuously right now. We are also rewarding heavily and using gimmies as needed. As I said, because this is a high fine environment, we're actually not using gimmies much right now, especially as migration season for bats are ramping up. And we are oscillating back and forth between food and toys to reward Niffler right now. So I currently have a um, ham, cheese, and kibble mix that I've been using to reward him. That's a really high value reinforcer for him, as well as his balls. And what we're especially finding is that as the day gets longer and hotter, he is less and less interested in his toys as a reward because it's just too damn hot and he doesn't want to chase them or he kind of wants to chase them, but then he'll take his ball and go lie in the shade of the wind turbine. So for everyone's sake, um, we're toggling back and forth between food and toys, which is a really nice thing that we're able to do. And I do highly recommend um, having dogs that can accept both food and toys as rewards in this line of work, if at all possible for situations like this, because if your ball will, your dog will only ever work for a ball and then you're, you're trying to get out and work in 90 degree weather and you're finding something every couple minutes, your dog is going to burn out and potentially suffer from heat related injury. Um, so no, we don't have to go on and on about heat, although that is um, one of our biggest environmental issues on this particular project. We're doing a lot of stuff with cooling coats. Um, I'm often leaving the truck running so that it's really cool when we get back to it, which is, you know, not great for fossil fuel consumption. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but it's, you know, it, it's just what I have to do to keep my dog safe right now. Our next, um, our next tip and our second to last tip is to watch your dog's enthusiasm levels. If your dog's enthusiasm drops, reassess it. Um, as I said, I've seen some fluctuations in Niff's ball drive, Niffler's ball drive, and whether or not he's interested in toys. I've seen some searches. He gets out of the car, and he's just raring to go, and he's got his nose down and his tail up, and he's going. And other times, he's just kind of plodding along, or maybe he's even just doing quite a bit of uh, crittering um, or canid communication and just running around and sniffing fox scat. Um, and so... I, I would recommend, you know, don't be afraid to do what you need to do to help get your dog's enthusiasm levels back up. Whether that's a gimme or with Niffler, generally if I kind of call him to me, pet him a bunch, give him some cuddles and some love, tell him how good he is, that'll kind of pump him back up and he'll be ready to go back to work um, after doing a little bit of that. Sometimes it just seems like he needs a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of cheerleading, and then he's ready to go back to work again, especially as it gets really hot. Um, and I'm also trying to make sure that I don't get him too overly enthusiastic to where he burns himself out and isn't able to focus. Um, I don't want him working too fast or running too hot and, um, again, not being able to search again later in the day. And our last piece of advice for working with an adolescent detection dog is something I've already said, but we're going to repeat it. Don't ruin your dog's career for the sake of starting it early. I am absolutely prepared if tomorrow Niffler gets out of the truck and is just absolutely not ready to work and incapable of working. You know, we will call the day off if we need to. And if that persists, 
I will quit this job. I, um, I will not ruin my, um, my brand new baby detection dog, um, for the sake of a job. I don't expect that to happen. I wouldn't have taken this job if I wasn't super confident that Niffler could do this. But, um, you know, if I have to, I have to, and I am not willing to ruin my dog's career, which I hope to last a decade or more for the sake of working just one summer and starting, you know, at a super flashy young age. You know, I'm incredibly proud of the work that Niffler is doing. I'm so excited that I've got a puppy who's been showing like he's ready and willing and excited and able to do this work at such a young age. Um, but yeah, if he shows me that he's actually not quite ready, or maybe as he as he matures, you know, he's an intact boy as he goes through puberty more and more, um, he might not be able to work at periods of time, and that's okay. And again, I'm not going to push him or force him to work in a way that may jeopardize his long-term career going forward. So I would love to hear everyone's thoughts on working with adolescent dogs, any tips that others have, any questions that you have. You can always drop those questions in wherever you find this podcast on social media. You can email me at canineconservationists at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on our Patreon. That is obviously my preferred way of um, getting in touch because that helps fund this podcast and keep us going. Um, and I think that's all for now. I'm uh, I'm really excited to hopefully give you an end of season update on um, the work that Niffler is doing. And I suppose I should also mention at the end here, I've buried the lead a little bit. Niff, um, Niffler and I are working together partially because my dog Barley is off with my really, really good friend, Rachel, um, doing this work in Ohio and Indiana. So they are also working on bats under wind turbines. And um, Barley is helping teach my friend Rachel how to do um, conservation detection dog work. Uh, so he uh, he's also getting to work every day. He's having a lovely time. She's having a lovely time. But that's part of the reason that I'm working Niffler as well right now. I spent my first two weeks of this job working both dogs. And then when Rachel's field season started, she picked Barley up and they're now off doing their own thing. So I think that's all for now. Again, I would love to hear your thoughts, your questions, your comments. Um, you can reach out all the places I've already mentioned. Until next time, I'm Kayla Fratt, and I run canineconservationists.org. Um, until we are back in your earbuds, go ahead and have fun with your dog. Take them outside and go be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and your skill set. Talk soon. Bye.